0: Sound Design. Live. And then one last thing make sure you please password protect your audio network. Please, please, please. Sound Design. Live. Sound Design Live is produced independently by me,
1: Nathan Lively, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to Sound Design Live, the show to help you build your career as a sound engineer and the home of the world's first online career coaching program, optimized for audio professionals. I'm Nathan Lively, and today I'm joined by photographer, AV director, and X32 expert, Drew Brashler. Drew, welcome to Sound Design Live. Thank you, thank you for having me, it's fun. (laughs) So Drew, I definitely wanna talk to you about all of your secret X32 hacks and your work as an AV director at the Christ Church of the Valley, right? Yep. But first of all, as a photographer, I'm sure you hear a lot of wedding bands and DJs. That includes some of your work, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So what would you
0: say is the most overplayed song at a wedding? You'd think it would be like the YMCA or the Cha-Cha Slide. But at the end of the night, um, when the bar has shut down and everyone's already done Last Call, it is Journey, Don't Stop Believin'. That is like (laughs) the, like... Anthem of the end of a wedding night is is that. So you can just imagine a whole crowd of, of uh, inebriated guests singing Don't Stop Believing. And is that time
1: for you to get into action and you're like, click, 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 or is that like... A, it's, it's, it's more over, of a crying now. moment for me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So how'd you get your first job in audio? Like your first...
0: Yeah. Job. Yeah, man. So my first job in, uh, in audio was at a local theater um, in high school. And uh, man, I just got that by, by being around and helping out and having a good attitude about things. When you're starting out and uh, don't have much experience, just being helpful, being around uh, and just having that good attitude, it, it's, uh, it's something that people will notice. That's basically how I got my first job. And it kind of just spiraled from there. Do you remember
1: anything that you were working on there, or what kind of your responsibilities are? Was was it just anything and everything?
0: Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, it, it was uh, it was just one of those live theaters that had XLRs that were connected to wires via like twisting connectors, the wing nuts, and uh, yeah, it was just improving that, fixing a lot of stuff, uh, retuning the system there. Back before I knew uh, knew how to use like smart and stuff like that, uh, just using your ears. <laughs> So in high
1: school, you didn't know how to use SMART already? Is that what you're no, saying? No, no, not not <laughs> back then. Not back then.
0: And how did you get that
1: job? Did you already say that? Did you know someone there? Someone in your family knew someone?
0: Yeah, so it was uh, it was the theater that was attached to our high school. Uh, it was a theater that sat about, gosh, it must have been about 1,100. So it was a pretty good-sized theater. During the summer, they would do uh, a bunch of shows. Looking back on your
1: career so far, yeah. what do you think is one of the best decisions you made to get more of the work that you love?
0: Yeah, definitely. So I'm a firm believer that who you surround yourself with is, is who you will end up being. You really have to choose who you're going to surround yourself with in, in a very wise way. Because um, if, you, if you surround yourself with a bunch of people that, you know, aren't really going in the direction that you're wanting to go, uh, I, I find that you will also veer in that same direction, not where you're mm-hmm. wanting to go. I really think that, you know, surrounding yourself with some mentors that you can bounce questions off of and, and everything like that is a really, really valuable part of just my whole career. And then lastly, don't be afraid to ask a question, but always be careful of who you ask that question to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So who was that in your life? Was there a mentor that sort of came into your life or did you seek that out consciously? You knew, you know what? I want to achieve this goal or I want to do this kind of Project and have success in this area, so I need to meet someone who's good at that. Like, did you know how to do that? Or are you just sort of looking back now and realizing, oh, you know what? I just got lucky.
0: It was kind of a luck thing back okay. then, but but looking back at it now, I'm I'm glad that God put those uh, those people in my life that uh needed to be there, um, so that I could get from you know point A to point B.
1: Sure, and I guess if you had to start all over again, though, you would do that consciously now, though. Totally. You would kind of. Think, yeah. You know what? I want to do audio. <laughs> I want to get this place. So who are the people I want to be hanging out with? What are the sort of the characteristics and the values I'm looking for? Exactly. Let's get into the X32. (laughs) And I'm laughing because it's just like so many questions were coming in and they're all kind of random. I don't really have them organized really well, but I thought maybe one way to get started would be to talk about the difference between the X32 and the M32. I don't have experience with the M32, um, but a couple of people wrote into me. um, Let's see, one person said, the main differences between the X32 and the M32, and somebody asked me about the quality gap, but they weren't real specific. I don't know. So can you just talk about um, a couple of the main differences people should be aware of?
0: The main difference between the X32 and the M32 is is the audio quality. Um, you know, the, really? the the circuit design is is pretty similar, but they're basically using audio grade components instead of just general grade components. So you know, there's certain there's certain capacitors and resistors that are better for audio. Um, and then there's just general grade, which we have in uh, a lot of other electronics. And so those audio grade components cost more. And so that's one of the reasons that the M32 costs more is because it's using better, better actual components to it. The fader itself is different. I've heard that it's the same fader as the Pro 2 like the Pro Series. So basically, the, the robustness of the Midas is, uh, is better than the, than the X32, but the actual software inside of it is the same. In fact, a, a long time ago, you could take the Midas software and install it on your Behringer board. I haven't oh, really? tried that in a, in a long time, but, but yeah, that's, that's one thing that you can, you can do. So the software routing side, everything is the same between the Behringer and the Midas. Uh, the only difference is just logos. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people making who are maybe new to the X32?
1: I know I've experienced this and I made a lot of mistakes first starting, especially because I was a little bit arrogant and I was like, X32, that's never gonna be a popular board. I'm never gonna have to see that in my <laughs> life. That's just some Beringer crap, like, ooh, gross, I don't wanna talk about it. I'm never gonna touch it, so I'm not gonna, and then all of a sudden it was showing up on all these gigs and I was like, I guess I'll read the user's manual and like figure this out.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah,
1: common mistakes that you. Man, see Man, the X thirty two just
0: kind of appeared in my life like that too. I, I was uh, I was driving over to meet up with with one of my old live sound teachers, Keith Morris, and just to bounce a couple questions off on him. And uh, and that when I got there, you know, they have a a couple nice really really nice uh, live sound consoles in their live sound room. Um, and at the time it was a PM5D that was there and they had this little tiny X32 Behringer sitting next to the PM5D and he was just freaking out about how awesome the Behringer was. I'm like, Keith, what are you doing? Like, this is crazy. So uh, then then I ended up uh, checking it out and and I ended up uh, purchasing two for the church that I was at at the, at the time about a, a week or two later, which was crazy. Christian, you are correct. Not dusting off the desk. That's another, that's a good common mistake. Um, (laughs) Using those dust covers is important, guys. I think the number one mistake, um, and I don't think this is just the X32, I think this is any board out there, analog, digital, anything, is routing. You know, you have to know your ins and outs of the board. And if you don't have a firm grasp on that, you will not succeed in what you're doing. So, uh, mm. you know, I, I have always been a firm believer of writing it down. I, I do have a routing worksheet that you can download for free on my website. Uh, yeah, so I if, actually if, checked that out yesterday. Yeah, it's really
1: good. Yeah, so
0: uh, that that's always been something that I've, I've been a firm believer in, is always, you know, writing down all the inputs, writing down all your outputs, and then just attacking it, kind of connecting the dots. This one needs to go to here, that one needs to go to there, um, and that sort of thing. So I think routing is the is the biggest thing in audio that people will just like pass by. Wanting to get to the fun stuff with the EQ and the dynamics and the gating and this and that and all of that stuff. But really, you know, getting your ins and outs is, is the most important thing from the get-go. And then one thing that's tricky about the uh, the X32 and M32 is it's routed in blocks of 8. On the console, uh, you know, you have, have these... Uh, 32 inputs on the back, and then you can also add stage boxes remotely, Um, but if you end up wanting to use some of the inputs from a stage box, you have to select eight inputs at one time. So now you have these blocks of eight, these four blocks, and uh, you have to just really uh, do some creative routing sometimes uh, to make sure that you're using the best of your routing. Because uh, you can't just pull two inputs from a stage box and then have all 30 inputs on the local side. You can have, uh, you know, 26 and then the, the 8 on the on the stage box. Let's talk about the X32
1: rack wireless control. I have struggled with this quite a bit. And my guess is that there are plenty of other people out there who have as well. I don't know if we'll really get to the bottom of it. Cause like there's other things connected here, right? Everyone has like maybe a different network switch, port, wireless device, router, all this stuff. First of all, um, this is something that I am always suspicious of every time I try to do this DHCP or static IP address when you're setting up the network.
0: Just from a routing, uh, a router standpoint, as, as far as your wireless goes, it's always good to have a separate network for uh, your audio system, just dedicated to your audio system. Uh, you know, don't have it connected to your church Wi-Fi and all of that. Just one, because of network throughput, you know, there's only so much bandwidth and this much data that can actually pass through the network. And if you have, you know, people watching Facebook Live oh, or people doing Twitter or Instagram, you know, now now we only have this much left for you know for our network. So we want to make sure that we dedicate a a network specifically for our audio network. And that way we can make we can verify you know, what people are on the network uh, and that sort of thing. With any of the X32s, the network port on the back can go directly to a computer without a switch in, in the middle um, and okay. without a crossover cable. And so you can just grab a normal Ethernet cable plug one side into the, into the rack and the other side into your computer and you can use, um, you can use uh, network connectivity that way. Uh, you would need to set a manual IP address on your computer though, just FYI. What DHCP does for us is it automatically pulls an IP address uh, from the router. Um, and so I, I'm a firm believer of setting up your own router and knowing the numbers. You can always connect to that Wi-Fi network uh, of your router and look on your phone or a computer and see what like, the router IP address is and your subnet mask. And there's a couple different things there. Uh, I do have a blog post on my blog that you can check out for just setting up Wi-Fi with the X32. But the nice thing about doing it manually is that you know that the IP address is not going to change. The problem with the DHCP is every time you reset that router, or reset that network, it's going to assign a new IP address to that mixer. Typically, what I'll do is I'll connect up a router to the X32 and start out with DHCP, and then I'll look at the IP address, and then I will just go manually set a new IP address. Oh, um, that's smart. Yep. Significantly higher. Uh, I usually do like... Um, 192.168.0.100. And then I will go and reset the router that it's currently plugged into. And the reason behind that is because if I set a manual IP address, I don't know if there's another computer or iPhone or whatever that's currently on that address. So if I go manually set my IP address on my mixer and then restart the router, I'll know that it will re-rack all of those IP addresses and it won't duplicate over my manual one. So if you have a dedicated network, you should be able to say, okay,
1: I know what three things are connected here and I know what their IP address is. Um, But letting the router help you out by saying, hey, here's a good IP address. I know this one and then setting it to manual. Exactly. The nice
0: thing about doing stuff manually is that if something goes wrong, I'm the one to blame. And I I want that to be the case. I don't want to have to blame a different piece of gear. Um, So that's, that's why I always want to do something manually. And then one last thing, make sure you please password protect your audio network. Please, please, please. Do you ever make it invisible? No, I don't, yeah. Uh, I, I won't name it something like audio, um, just cause I don't want someone trying to uh, hijack my mixer. Um, I will name it something, but it won't be live audio network. That sort of thing, just because I want to be a little bit on the secretive side, just so like guests that are coming in don't realize, oh, wow, what's this? uh, What's this thing? Uh, (laughs) Let's get in. Yeah, exactly. Also, if you're at a church, don't name it the church name, because then people will be trying to connect to it for Wi-Fi.
1: Bob asked, he said he has problems with the Apple Airport Express. So I don't know if you experienced that, Drew, but he said that you have to have a network switch in between.
0: Why is that? I don't know. Have you done that? I just saw someone's comment that they like to name their wireless network PowerPoint control, which is okay. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the Apple uh, Airport Express um, is, is a network switch that's, um, you know, made by, made by Apple. Um, there's, uh, it, it doesn't like when it's not connected to the Internet. I don't know why, uh, but it's it's a pretty commonly known thing that if you have an Apple Airport Express, that if it's not connected to the internet, you will have issues with it um, with your routing. Um, so I. You know, I'm a a big fan of the old school Linksys, the WRT-54G from way back when. Uh, You can pick them up at at Goodwill for like 10 bucks. get a little power supply with it. And then there is a a program called DDWRT, which is a a firmware that you can install over the top of the Linksys uh, router, and then it gives it a lot more control over it. So you have expanded features uh, like setting it up as an access point, the repeaters, there's a whole lot of uh, stuff that's just way over my head as far as what it can do. But the beautiful part about it is it gives you a lot of control over the router as far as being able to um, pick out the open channel um, on the Wi-Fi spectrum, which is always an important thing. Someone else had asked this, how do you go from functional to amazing And I think
1: we've covered a lot of things already, dedicated network, then changing to a manual IP address and password password protecting your network. Uh, You even mentioned a specific router that people could get and even
0: update the firmware. So any other points you wanna add here before we move on? Man, getting that network switch, the wireless portion of it, up outside of your rack in a visible range, uh, okay. line of sight clear, mm-hmm, is important. Because uh, with the little tiny antennas, they're they're about this big. Especially if you have a router that has internal antennas, you really need to get that piece of gear outside of the rack, outside of that box, standing up tall. You know, even even like as far as putting it like duct taping it to a mic stand and just leaving it up in the air is a really good idea. You know, having external antennas is always a always a a good thing. To go for, and then you know, anytime you can go wired, I would suggest it. There was a uh, a time this this uh, this year that we were we were doing camp for uh, CCV out in California, and we had 2,000 kids inside this uh, this this gym, and I had a wireless connection to my computer that was using a, a program called Wireless Workbench. And my computer that was sitting three feet away from my router wouldn't connect once kids got in. Oh, my God. Um, What's wrong with kids these days? I I know, right? (laughs) That everyone with their phones out and connecting to Wi-Fi and sharing everything and just all of that RF in that room made it so that my computer could not connect to a wireless router that was three feet away. And so that's why I always had the, the wired connection. I plugged it in and it worked great for the, next, for the rest of the week. So wow. a- okay. anytime that you can go wired, you know, that's one less thing that you have to worry about. Uh, Drew, can I show you something? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Have you ever seen one of these? No. <laughs>
1: About I've had this for like 10 years and haven't used it. And I just keep carrying around because I assume I'll use it again, which is why it's sitting in a box back there trying to decide if it's gonna go on eBay or whatever. But is
0: that a directional antenna?
1: It is because 10 years ago I was working on a tour, a theatrical tour where I was using wireless control. Yeah. And I was having problems, and I didn't know what the answer was. So I started looking online and just trying everything I could think of. And this was the one of the things I could think of. And so there was a site that was selling these antennas that were passive, and had they could put on an adapter that plugged right yes. into the router. So That's you good. can actually get one of these, plug it right in, and then like point it. Because the reason I did that is that I just had a rack on stage, and it was upstage, and then I was way out on the audience. So I would like point this at where I was sitting. Pretty cool. That's smart. There's a uh,
0: there's one guy. His site is wa5vjb, and I'll say that again. It's wa5. VJB. Uh that's his ham radio call sign, but he basically creates and uh makes uh, PCB, so like uh thin circuit board, uh, but antennas. Um, and oh. he has a bunch of log periodics, both actually for uh our wireless microphone area. So instead of spending, you know, a couple hundred dollars on a on a name brand uh paddle, you can get one for $30 from his site. And he also makes one for the Wi-Fi that goes uh, from the 2.4 all the way up to the five gig. Area and I know it's like $15 or something like that. So silly, silly how inexpensive it is.
1: Babatunde was is asking about running two X-ray twos in tandem without uh, a stage box or analog splitter. The stage console would have all of the inputs. Is this possible?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so you can run um, the inputs from one console to another console using, uh, using the uh, connectivity called AES50, um, which, uh, which is the network protocol um, for audio on, on the Behringer and Midas mixers. Uh, and actually, one pretty cool way of doing this is have a Midas you know, M32 up on stage for the monitors, and then actually put an X32 out at front of house and just run all of your inputs and outputs through the M32, so you're gaining all of the benefits of the, um, of the audio quality um, on the input and the output, which then you're just using your X32 out at front of house for just a control on it. But yeah, so you're able to select the inputs from another console using the AES-50, and then you can select your outputs from that console up on stage from, uh, from the, the box at front of house, too.
1: Another question came in here from Kevin. Is there a basic online course for the X32? I've purchased the board. It sounds like I need some training. Church have been set up with the routing, X, Y, and Z. So I think the question here is, Drew, when are you going to do an online course?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I may or may not be working on that. That's, that's kind of secretive still. Secrets. okay cool I um, may or may not be but yeah no I, I am actually working on something um, just kind of getting all of all of my thoughts put together as far as the online course goes uh, for the x 32 so that will be something that I'll be releasing at some point in the next while I'm wanting to make sure that it's uh, nice and high quality so I wanted to make sure to spend the time that I need to on it but in the meantime I do have a YouTube channel that uh, I think that you linked on the page that you can check out um, if you just go search my name in YouTube uh, it, it'll pop up but I have a bunch a bunch of videos on there that if you are asking some questions, there's, there's typically a video on there that would answer that. I would
1: love to talk to you about using potentially the X32 as a speaker processor, because I'm sure there are a lot of people out there now who are just going direct from their X32 to their speakers. Maybe they're using just simple left and right, but maybe they have more speakers than that. Maybe they have front fills, out fills, side fills, down fills, maybe they're routing to monitors. And specifically, I'm wondering about some of the features Um, that maybe allow you to use the X32 as a processor. I know that I think there are some EQs that become available when you use them only on matrix outs. And um, so I don't know if you have much to say about that, but can you talk a little bit about using the X32 as your speaker processor?
0: Yeah, definitely. So one benefit, before I get into that, one benefit of having a system processor if you are are a dedicated uh, venue is that if your board went down, you'd be able to swap it out with a different board and have no problems because your audio system is completely separate from your mixer. Um, So one challenge with having all of your DSP processing as far as like your system goes inside the soundboard is if your soundboard goes out... uh, there goes all of your DSP for your system. So, if you are a dedicated venue with a with a complex system, I would definitely suggest having a system processor. With that being said, the X32 in the uh, newer firmwares, you know, starting at version three and up, all have the EQs for. Uh, crossovers, so your standard Butterworth and everything like that in different in different octave increments as well. So you have your 18 dB per octave, your 24 dB per octave, everything like that. All of those are available on the matrix and the main buses. If you wanted to set up your system with a, a just stereo and a separate send for your subs, you could use your left right for your mains and then your mono center channel as your sub send Um, and then you can also put those butterworth and 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 system processor eqs on both the left right and the mono Uh, but then you also have the ability of moving those to your matrices as well Um, but those type of eq filters are not available in the mix buses so just just keep that in mind that if you want to be able to use that you can use it on the on the matrices and the mix bus and the Main bus,
1: main bus, and the mono bus.
0: Yes, in the matrices. Left, right. It. Okay. MC and the uh, and the matrices.
1: Because, as I'm remembering, the mono out is just the last. Matrix,
0: right? It's kind of dug in there into the Matrix page. So you can set up the board as both a left, center, right, which is actually pretty cool. If you've never done one of those, it's pretty fun to have that center fill right in the main, in between the two uh, stereo systems. And if your room is set up to where you can do that, it's pretty fun being able to just like, Dedicate the center cluster to vocals or or whatever you want in right in the center And then you can have that stereo spread of all the music which is which is cool So you can set it up as left center right or a left right plus mono um, Which is which is the way that you do it if you wanted to do like an aux fed sub You could do it that way so you can separate the the subwoofer um, and then have that as a mono send
1: So donovan asks i've heard that an x32 with a midas dl16 slash 32 bypasses the Behringer's preamps, and mm-hmm. gives you a Midas on a budget.
0: Fact? Question mark. Yes, it is, it is correct. Easy. Yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you can use a, um, a Midas, the DL32 or the DL16, uh, as a stage box for the X32. Um, and likewise, you can use a Behringer stage box for the Midas if you wanted to, um, although that would be kind of silly. But yeah, so you can purchase the, the Midas stage boxes and use that with the X32.
1: Chris sent me a question. He says, How do you do a complete console backup to a USB drive? I can find how to individually save scenes and settings to my drive, but if I want to create a backup of the entire console, including all setup options, network, scenes, effects, libraries, etc.,
0: I can't find it. Because you cannot. Um, ah. So you have to you have to back up everything separately. So um, you can on the scenes, cues, and snippets export that as a show. To do that, you can press View on the scene section and then tab over to Home and then on that if you press the utility button, it'll uh, it'll pop up this little hidden menu. The utility button is your friend, by the way. So once you hit that, you can press Export Show, and that will export all of the scenes, snippets, and cues. And then as far as the library goes, you would need to export those separately so then you would want to go click library and then go to your channel press utility export all go to your effects and then go to your routing and basically do the same thing and i i always suggest doing that to a couple usb drives and just storing one away in a filing cabinet or tape it to the bottom of the board um you know i'll always have a backup uh, again, I, I want to be the person to blame uh, if something goes wrong. <laughs> sure. And that way, you know, if that board went down in a lightning strike or something ridiculous and it completely blew up all USB devices that were attached to it, if we go plop a new board down, I can grab my spare USB drive, plug it in, load it up, nothing happened.
1: I had a really great professor in school who said that if a, a file doesn't exist in three locations and it doesn't exist. <laughs> and So I th- true. I think a really common practice in IT management is to always have an offsite backup. That seems to be really important. I don't know how much we wanna talk about the Combinator, but the Combinator is really (laughs) interesting to me because I'm really into multiband compression. Yes. And I have used the Combinator a few times. I didn't think it was that complicated, but then I watched your video and I and you and I realized that the attack knob is backwards. Like, what's up with that? What is going yeah. on with the attack knob? Yeah. Is, man, it, it's it's like the 1176
0: up? compressor. Okay. Like okay. that that old the old uh, nice compressor, the 1176. It, the attack and release are actually backwards. So if you turn it left, um, then you're actually creating a slower attack. And if you turn it to the right you're creating a faster attack. So that's it's the same way with the combinator. Um so <laughs> it, it's pretty weird. It's it's definitely pretty weird. What was fun was uh was like diagnosing and figuring out how that thing works. Right, cuz it doesn't um, say anything on the no, note. no, it doesn't. It just has yeah.
1: numbers 1 to 20 or
0: something. <laughs> it it reminds me of that meme online that says, "You know that compressor that you've been tweaking for the last 30 minutes? Dot 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 It's bypassed." <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's great. Okay, uh, Joe asked, can I go pre-fader
1: post-EQ dynamics through Maddie directly into another X32 to increase mix buses for the purpose of monitoring? Um,
0: That's some pretty advanced routing. Um, And uh, so, yes, you can, um, but you can basically get a post-fader, a.k.a. Well, pre-fader, so after the dynamics and EQ processing, you can do that, but you would end up taking out all of your outputs on the board and all of the P16 outputs on the board to get that to be that way. Um, And so you'd have to take your local inputs on your X32 and then... um, On your out 1 through 16, you'd have to do direct outs of 1 through 16. And then on the P16 out tab, you would have to do direct outs of 17 through 32. Um, And then on your AES50 A, you would then end up selecting out 1 through 8 and then. 9 through sixteen and then on the 17 through 32 of the AES 50a you would end up selecting P16 1 through 16 on that. And so basically for the card output you would end up using those same outputs and then that would end up going to another console uh, and then you could you could have all of that um, post fader. but you know then then your mixer is now, <laughs> Just, a, just a input and output, there's no ability to expand the monitoring capabilities because all of your outputs are now used. Um, so there's, there's, <laughs> you, you would now be only able to use your aux out, so then you could have six auxes, uh, which is not, not good. So there's not really a way of sending post fader on the X32 from direct of the channels. Um, so you you would just have to use the X thirty two as as an X thirty two. you know, the, the thing about the X thirty two is it's a remarkable console for all the th- things it does, but as far as like expanding it out to more channels or more auxes and more buses and everything like that, that's going to be stepping into the pro series of midas so behringer and, and and music group is a very intelligent company where if they made say an x48 that had 48 channels that would then be in direct competition with their pro series which you know would be bad a bad mis- business model so you know you're you're kind of asking a, a cheaper console to do stuff that a you know several thousand dollar console would end up doing
1: Drew, can you explain the difference between scenes, cues, and snippets to me? Every time oh, man. I'm working on a show and I get to the part where, okay, I need to save this, open up scenes, save it there. Hey, wait, what's cues and snippets? Do I need to save it there? <laughs> what, what's happening?
0: So I have a blog post uh, on this. So if you want to dive into it more, go check it out. Uh, just go to dbbaudio.com and then just type in the search bar uh, on Sneeze Scenes. It's called Scene Snippets, and Cues. Okay. Um, and so Scenes save everything on the board and recall everything on the board. Uh, That is all the way down into your setup menu and your assign, uh, your user design section, uh, all of the inputs, all of the routing, all of the EQs, all of the fader positions, everything. So that literally saves everything on the console, uh, outside of libraries, it doesn't save the libraries. Snippets save specific things. So when you load a scene, it actually, the X32 will go load every single thing from the top down and you can actually visually see this when you load a scene, if you save a scene with all your faders down, and then save another scene with all your faders up, and then you load the scene uh, that has all of them down, all of the faders will start at 1, go down, 2, go down, 3, go down, 4, go down, and basically load all of the things in one kind of fell swoop. It's not all at the same time. So it'll go through and rack all of the different inputs um, of all of the different lines of code that it needs to load. So snippets... Allow you to load specific things like a mute of a guitar or a fader increase of a vocal or an EQ change on a channel.
1: Sorry to interrupt you, but is that because the X32 does not use recall safes and so they use snippets instead?
0: So there is safes um, on the snippets, there is safes on the scenes, and there's safes uh, within the console. So yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> I know, and there's another blog post just for that, okay. too, so it, it can get a little complicated. But, um, but basically, when you load a scene, there's a momentary pause in audio while it changes, oh, like a split second. That's bad news. A snippet okay. allows you to change certain things without that momentary pause. Yeah, so if, if you're going like song between song, you can use scenes. Um, if there's downtime in the audio, you can kind of sneak it in between them talking type of a thing. Um, but the snippets is a good way of loading things, uh, that you just want to load specifically, um, and not have that big pause. So scenes is like, I'm mixing the show Music Man today. And
1: then snippets are like, here's cue one through a hundred that, I, from the show.
0: Yes. Okay. And then cues allow you to bring in both of those together both the scenes and the snippets together into one. So then you can program a hundred scenes and a hundred snippets and then load that in a whole bunch of different ways via the cues. I see I see. Danny just asked a question yeah. about the USB drive. Uh, it only works in Wave, uh, so .wav. Uh, it will not play or record uh, MP3 because that's a completely different format.
1: Drew, what are some of the pros and cons of using Wave's multi native versus ah, Soundgrid with the
0: I/O Yes. Ah, so excited about this. So if you guys haven't heard, I've teamed up with Waves, and they've sent me out an XUS, uh, the XWSG card, which is the Waves Soundgrid card for the X32. So this allows you to plug directly into Waves Soundgrid uh, and use all of the Waves plugins in very low latency with the X32, which is really exciting. Now the difference between native and SoundGrid is that native is actually using your computer as the DSP processor, and so it is um, it is is working on latency off of your buffer, and so every every recording program and uh, and all the digital programs that you can use on your computer uh, use this thing called a buffer. And it, it, a very simplified explanation of this is my computer is going to listen to this much audio before it processes it, and so there's this much audio in the buffer well that buffer takes a little bit of time and so when you run smaller buffers you're asking your computer to do a lot more processing and so slower computers have to have a really long buffer faster computers can have a shorter buffer but if you get too short you end up getting pops and clicks and audio dropouts and stuff like that so Mm. it's not really a, a good solution and so uh so when, when Wave saw this, they were like, hey, let's make something to fix this. So then Soundgrid was designed And so Soundgrid uh, has a throughput delay of something like 0.8 milliseconds. Uh, So very, very, very short. And then when I've tried using Waves uh, native with a computer, and even with the XUSB card, we're talking like in the 10 to 20 millisecond range, depending on your computer and how fast it is. And so when when people are using things like in-ears, when the monitoring is really quick, you can notice that time shift of a couple milliseconds. If you're using floor wedges, it's not as big of a problem. And then if you are ending up just doing front of house with multi-rack native, you can get away with having that 10 to 20 milliseconds of delay and, and not have to worry about that because you know the crowd is going to be hearing it from the PA and not directly from the stage. So that's, that's where you could use native, but if you're doing monitoring from the same X32, you would, you would want to separate that. Uh, or use Soundgrid.
1: And Arif is asking, can you use multi-rack native
0: without the card? So you can use multi-rack native with either the XUSB or the XUF card. Uh, and you can also use it with the with the Waves card. Uh, but the beauty is that you can, you know, use the Soundgrid, both multi-track record and use live plugins and have redundancy because you can put Multiple sound grid servers on the same network and have redundancy with that. So if one sound grid server goes down, it'll automatically switch over to the other and have that redundancy there, which is good.
1: Nice. Drew, Tiger asked, Do you like the iOS or Android apps? Yeah,
0: okay. yeah, it's great. Um, you know, being able to separate yourself from the board and walk around is a really important thing to do. Uh, you know, mixing in any environment, you should always walk the room because your one spot at front of house is not going to be the same as the front row. Is not going to be the same as up in the balcony, uh, you know, everything like that. So if you want to give yourself a full picture of what the room is sounding like, you need to walk. Um, and so at Northridge Community Church, where we had the X32s, <laughs> the, <laughs> the spot where front of house was was up in the cat's nest, way up tall. Uh, the PA was not even pointed at it. So we were just hearing the reverb and reflections of the room. So you can imagine how terrible that was trying to mix up there. Uh, and we ended up adding some some front uh, some, some near-field monitors on some paint cans uh, so we could have some speakers up there to be able to listen to stuff. Uh, but being able to have that iPad app and walk down and walk the room and be able to adjust stuff was, was really beneficial.
1: Danny asked, do you use tuning apps to tune the sound system?
0: Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Um, because it's a mathematical, like scientific measurement and our ears can trick us. Um, you know, always our ears can trick us. So if you're if you're in a loud room and, um, you know, there's a whole lot of high end, your ears are going to end up getting accustomed to that high end and kind of de-emphasize that. And so you hear differently in every environment that you're in. So I always use, uh, we end up using SMART. Um, it's, a, it's a great program, but there's, I know that there's a lot of other programs uh, out there. Um, some are even free, but always having either an RTA or you know, if, if you can get something like transfer function inside of SMART, it, it's always beneficial to have that.
1: Chase asked, so I once heard that in an older version of the X32, the outputs were not phase aligned. That sounds like an urban legend. Uh, Does that have merit?
0: I haven't heard of that. The boards that we had at Northridge were the first generation. All of the throughput from your input to the output, no matter if you used EQ on the channels, compression on the channels, or like EQ and compression on the mix buses, everything was time aligned, unless you inserted something. And so if you inserted like an outboard gear, you'd be adding that extra time of the DSP to make it an analog and then send to the thing and then come back and then switch to digital and then add it back in. Also, if you insert uh, any effects in the in the effects rack, you're gonna be adding some latency. And that's just because, you know, you're adding something that's going to be using a lot more processing inside the board. And the M32 is the same way. Um, So there's no differentiation between the X32 and the M32 as far as like inserting effects. But if you went and inserted, say like the Leisure Compressor or the Ultimo Compressor, uh, yes, you'd be adding a little bit of latency.
1: Any ways to overcome latency issues using compressor models in the effects section, so any workarounds for that if you need things to come out at the same time, I guess.
0: If you were wanting to parallel process like a, a uh, drum bus, um, as well as your drum mics, and you were sending your drum channels to the left-right bus, and then you were also sending your drum channels to a subgroup, and then doing a compressor uh, that you inserted, and then send that bus to the left-right, those two things would be Out of phase, so you know the the compressed would be delayed slightly, and so the only way to overcome that is to also insert that same effect on a separate subgroup, and then just not compress, Um, just you know have it inserted, but then put the compression threshold all the way up high so that it's not compressing. So it's basically going through the same plugin or the same effect on both subgroups, and both of them are going to the left-right bus, one is compressing, the other is not. That's, that's the only way of getting past that.
1: Travis asked, how to copy and paste output graphs? So I'm assuming he's talking about graphic equalizer
0: inserts. Okay. If you go and go to a channel or an eq or a mix bus or an effects rack anything if you hit the utility button there's a copy and then go to the next one that you want to paste it on and then hit the utility button and press paste and then it will paste it
1: Uh, so to wrap up here drew i wanted to ask you a little bit about your work at the Christchurch of the valley kind of yeah first of all just how you how you got the job i'm always interested in how that works out for people and what your responsibilities are there then
0: yeah, great question. So I, I ended up um, leaving Northridge uh, Community Church a long time ago, um, just for some some different business reasons on the on the personal side of, with photography. Um, and at that point, uh, I ended up going over to to CCV as uh, as a as an attendee and sitting with my wife for the first time uh, through church services in our marriage, which was great. And it was interesting. It was one of the first churches that I've ever been to where I didn't feel the need to go volunteer to make things better. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I think that's, that's one struggle that a lot of us in production have is you know when we go to a place that you know, has a little bit of issues in a certain spot, we, we kind of key in on those issues and then just get you know, only focused on that. With CCV, I, I didn't feel that, so I ended up uh, attending there for a couple months um, with my wife, which was amazing. And then I just felt the the urge to to go mix again. So I um, started contracting. Every every audio position there is is always filled by someone that is uh, is skilled. And then uh, and then just being there, uh, serving people, being kind, you know, having a positive attitude about everything. Uh, just a lot of people, I guess, noticed. And when a position opened up for uh, production manager for the new Chandler campus that's happening in the Valley here, uh, They they approached me. So that's me now.
1: Talk a little bit about what your responsibilities are now in that position.
0: Currently, I have eight campuses at CCV, and all the campuses have a dedicated production manager, and they oversee all audio, visual, lighting, everything production-wise for that entire campus. Um, so if it's in one of the uh, kids' rooms, if it's in the students' building, if it's in uh, the main service, all of that is is done by us. And so I, I oversee um, uh, you know people working on sound. I you know, create all the lighting shows for the weekends, everything like that. Basically, we we really want to have the production down to the point where we're not having any issues that people might, you know, get caught on and get uh, distracted by something. So we we strive to uh, have some really good production.
1: Wow, Drew, in between photography audio, lighting, and everything else that you do with your job, you must never be bored. (laughs) There's (laughs) always
0: something. There's always something. And
1: you probably also never have any money either, because every time you get some more money, you're like, I probably need another lens. Mm, I probably need another microphone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's why budgeting is a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much to you, Drew, for being here. Well, thanks, Nathan, for having me. This was fun. Sound design.
1: I want to say thank you to Shutterwax for all of the music in today's episode. If you want to find more of their music, you can go to Shutterwax.bandcamp.com That's S-H-U-T-T-E-R-W-A-X .bandcamp.com